right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. I'm joined today by Marcus Lanny. He's a, a unique guest of ours, uh, not our typical guest. Um, but I, I, uh, I came across Marcus um, through one of uh, the young professionals I, I, I interact with. And I've just been very impressed with uh, what Marcus has been doing on LinkedIn. And I think our audience could gain a lot of information about how he's been able to leverage the tool um, and then also just what his buying habits are going to be like as the inevitable leader he'll become. Uh, so a little bit about Marcus. Um, he's a senior in the four plus one program for, uh, at Purdue. I'll let him explain what that means. Um, he's also does mechanical engineering and marketing specialist for a surveying company at the same time he's in this four plus one program. And on top of that, he's also the president of ASME at Purdue. And if that wasn't enough for him, he also produces content on a daily basis and helps people understand how to use LinkedIn and how young professionals can use it to advance their career. Uh, Marcus, welcome. Right on. Thank you. Yeah, super hyped to be here. Pre appreciate that intro. It's going to be a fun one today. Chat about buying habits, you know, how to leverage that power of LinkedIn. It's been a, it's been a fun journey, you know, especially going through college, being a young professional, trying to just tap into everything that LinkedIn can offer. And I think a lot of it slept on. So hoping today we kind of get some of the information out, you know, dispel some of anything scary about LinkedIn and talk about how we can utilize it to land those big time jobs, internships, opportunities. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really interested. I, I, I caught up a little bit with Marcus the other day. And so I know a little bit about his story. It's really interesting how he started getting into content and just his evolution through LinkedIn and also some of the benefits he's seen from it. Um, I was telling this to my team a little bit earlier. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm uh, generally impressed with young people that are ambitious, um, but I don't meet a lot of people generally that check all three of these boxes. Marcus is more motivated than I am. He's more disciplined than I am, and he arguably has better hair. So <laughs> I'm probably gonna end up working for Marcus one day. Uh, but I mean, to me, that said a lot. When I told my team that, they were like, "All right, we got to have this kid on here. It's gonna be a great episode." Uh, so without further ado, I'm gonna kick it over to Marcus here, and I, I want Marcus to tell a little bit about his story. So it's it's not the typical career journey because he's just getting started on that. Um, but he's obviously had some vision since high school to be able to work his way through this program. So, Marcus, why don't you tell us a little bit about just how, why, what drew you to mechanical engineering, how you ended up at Purdue, and then we can walk through how you got started on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, the big thing, how I came to mechanical engineering is, you know, I had no idea what the hell engineering I wanted to do. And so, like most MEs, I was like, hey, you know what? It's going to be broad enough to where regardless of how technical you want to be, how more on the business side you want to be, you're going to have that technical foundation. So coming to Purdue, they actually have this really nice program called First Year Engineering, where you don't even choose your major until your third semester at school. Um, and by that time, I was like, all right, mechanical, mechanical is pretty set. But I learned that by getting through LinkedIn, by networking, by meeting people and seeing, you know, what do they actually do? in industry because there's one thing what you learn in class and it's a whole different thing what's happening on out in the real world um and so with that program we were talking about the four plus one program so that's getting a bachelor in me mechanical engineering in four years followed by a master in two more semesters um usually it's a five-year program i'm really blessed i'm able to complete it in four years so just one more year left for the master's degree but when i first got I got my start on linkedin in a seminar class freshman year and it was like weird how powerful this could be, but I don't know, being like 18, I didn't think it didn't really click just yet because you have the ability to go knock on any CEO's door, any person's door on LinkedIn, and the response rate is ridiculously high. Like if I was to show up at your home, 
knock on your door and be like, hey, like, I really like what you're doing, you'd probably have the cops called on me so fast it wouldn't even be funny. But via LinkedIn, I'm sliding in the DMs and it's completely normal. And so by figuring that out, I was like, okay, maybe maybe there, there's some potential here. And during that freshman year, I was like, I want, I want to get an internship. Like, I want to go explore ME, go see what it's all about. You know, I'm studying ME, let me get an ME internship. So I applied to exactly 100 jobs all online. And, you know, it's going well. I got interviews with 10 of them, came down to three offers, and I chose one, and I was like, I'm super hyped. Like, I, I can't wait to have this ME internship. And I don't think about it for a while, COVID hits. Internships rescinded. And so now I'm like, I just spent all this time, all this effort out here applying to jobs and I got nothing to show for it. I got no relationships. I got nothing that's going to help me get the next job. So I was like, okay, well, clearly networking's the move here. And so I'm, I'm going back. I'm like, you know, I'm going to take a few classes over the summer when I just started reaching out to people on LinkedIn that I just thought were cool. And it was that genuine, like, I want to build a relationship. Like, they're, especially Purdue grads, like, they're up to some of the coolest things in my not so biased opinion ever. <laughs> so I'm reaching out and I get this one guy and he's working at a startup, you know, Purdue grad, looks super cool, but there's no information information on it online. And I was like, all right, like, well, let me slide. Let me slide in the DMs. Like, let me see what it's all about. And, you know, we're talking a little bit and within a week, like he offered me a job on the spot. And I was like, damn, okay. No, I can't do it. But like, how about we'd make it part-time remote? And he was like, okay, but we don't have all that much ME work for you. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, your website sucks. Your marketing sucks. Your social media presence sucks. How about I make it better? And he was like, all right, cool. You're on. And that's how I got the start going from mechanical engineering to marketing and kind of finding the intersection of those two. Because I was quickly realizing through some clubs, through the activities that technical engineering forever is not not going to be my career path a lot more of that like soft skills more of more of the talking building relationships is definitely me and this is around the time that i started my video series on linkedin and i entitled it marcus's morning minute and what i strive to do is share an idea of value every day in under a minute in just some way that i think can help us make more out of our day so whether that's talking about like business, leadership, management, networking, elevator pitches, interviews, economics, philosophy, things that are just like cool ideas, whether I read it, I have an experience about it, and I share a story that I think can all help us take more out of it. And through that, I was like, hmm, you know, the engineering is cool, but there's a whole lot more that goes into it. And, you know, I finished on my internship for the summer with that company. And he's like, all right, Marcus, so, you know, we're no longer going to have work at the intersection of engineering and marketing. You're going to have to choose one or the other. So let's say, you know, you graduate from Purdue and you come to work for us. Would you see yourself in an engineering role or a marketing role? And I said I would see myself at a different company. <laughs> and because I was all about, like, you got to be able to pursue your many interests. Because if you're limiting yourself when you're 18, when you're in your 20s, 30s, like, you can't be doing that. You know, all that growth can just be lost. So then I ended up doing a management consulting internship with Rolls Royce, had a blast. Um, I started this current gig that I'm doing with a precision laser cutting company. And that's been like mechanical engineering, sales engineering, marketing. And then previous summer was an internship in program management. And all those I've never applied online. That was straight up like trying to build relationships, trying to meet cool people on LinkedIn. And then they're like, oh, you want to come work for us? Like we got an opportunity. They link you up to something. And I started seeing that power. Like when you're putting yourself out there, you're producing content, you're letting people know where you want to go. 
oh, they just start coming and they want they want you, they want your talents because they know just how much you can bring to it. So the LinkedIn game has been a whole lot of fun and it's taught me, you know, I've built so many relationships, even on Purdue's campus, like people that you meet online. And because that's especially with COVID, like that's that's what's happening. You know, whether it's whether you're buying, whether you're making friends, you need to be online because it's a lot harder to get out in front of people um, with all, whether it's restrictions or just the guidelines that they have going on right now. So yeah, overall, LinkedIn game has been super fun. Set me up for a lot of success through Purdue, but then also professionally and beyond. So um, pre-COVID, I know COVID's when you started producing content. So pre-COVID, you were already leveraging LinkedIn. You just weren't producing content? Yeah, yeah. I, I was on there. I was reaching out, but I was like the, the filled out profile that hasn't been used. Mm. And, you know, you, well, there's a lot of things that go on with that, but like lack of credibility, you're just not... You're not putting yourself out there. It's a very, very different when you have a very crafted like about section or something where, you know, all that's so polished. But so much of your content like boom, 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 because they want to see more of the real you rather than the me that's like, well, I saved 13 percent in this. You know, they're like, OK, who cares? Like, let me see. Let me see what you're actually like versus when you can go spend four hours behind a computer writing up this one sentence. Yeah, that to makes total sense. I can imagine some people are sitting there saying, well, hey, Marcus, I'm not as gregarious as you are, and I don't feel as comfortable in front of the camera. So why don't you help people understand a little bit about, obviously, we would all agree that creating content is the best thing to do. But before you start creating content, why don't you help people understand like what a good LinkedIn strategy is for a young professional or someone that's in college? Yeah, well, it all starts off with that brand. And like, while my thing is that I do make videos, I would probably recommend against making videos. Because they perform worse online, that's a lot, a lot harder to coordinate. It just has to be something that you really want to do. So if you're starting out, I mean, I just saw this post and it said, you know, instead of like creating, think about it more like documenting. Like you just did something cool. You know, your team accomplished a project. You're in a club. You're doing something professional. You're at a conference. Like just a little post about that. You know, get the ball rolling because it's all about establishing your brand. So there's, there's a whole bunch of people. Like for example, there's what. I think 15,000 Purdue, Purdue engineers right now. And so if I'm trying to brand myself as a Purdue engineer, it's me versus the 15,000 people. I don't want to have to compete against anybody. You know, how can you figure out your brand so it's just you? And it's like, it's almost like becoming either like that kid or like that guy. So when you're, when you're talking with somebody, you know, they're like, they're, he's that guy that makes videos. He's that guy that runs the podcast. And it's a way for you to stick out in somebody's mind. So the, before you can identify that niche, though, you got to try out a whole bunch of things. Like you got to spread energy all over the place. Like if you're not you know, trying out new activities, meeting people, um, new events, like you're not going to know what you actually like. So you're not going to be able to make the most of it. Yeah. But then you start picking up that direction. And it's like when I came to Purdue, I was like, I'm going to be technical. Like I want to get like down and dirty. I want to be doing that nitty gritty work. And then I did a lot of that. And I was also exploring more of like net product, project management, product management. And I was like, hmm, you know, maybe, maybe what I thought wasn't all right. Cause when you're only exposed to like so much, how do you know, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. So as I'm working through that, I'm starting to figure out, you know, maybe this technical engineering isn't exactly what I want to do. And just by trying things out, like posting, get, get the video series, um, you're able to kind of figure out that direction. So once you're able to start building that brand and know what you'd like, that's when you just got to start pumping out the LinkedIn profile, you know, really just flush it out, get information on there. I'm sure there's a lot of accomplishments, you know, whether it's awards, affiliations, but 
make it so when somebody comes to your profile, they're like, hmm, it's an interesting person. You know, you're not just like a young, motivated professional. You're, you're somebody with these experiences who wants to go and grow in X way. Yeah, and when yeah. somebody just reads that, it's all about not only attracting the right people, but repelling the wrong ones. So as much as you want to you know, get either the right jobs, right opportunities coming to you, when you have like a very clear brand, people are not going to come to you if they don't align. Like, you know, somebody that's looking for a very like technical ME role, they're not going to stop on my profile, even though it says mechanical engineer, because they understand that that's not the that's not the way I'm trying to go. Mm-hmm. So it saves you time, saves you energy by not working with any of the wrong people. And then it also brings more of the right people to you. So initial strategy is you just got to flush out the profile, get it built. And then like a post a week is super manageable. <laughs> I mean, it takes maybe like five, 10 minutes to write. And then from there, like you're documenting, you have your footprint out there and you're able to be found by more people who are just surfing. Did you um did you also intentionally grow your reach? Like, did you connect with people you don't know, try to find? Why don't you explain a little bit about that? Because I hear a lot of, well, can I connect with people I don't know? I'm embarrassed to do that. Why don't you talk about that component too? I think the content creation, you nailed yeah. it. But how do you grow your audience? Yeah, that, that's a big one. And it's that you don't need to know your audience when you start. Like, I had no idea who my audience kind of was. I was just posting things that I thought I would be interested in. Because you want your audience to be interested in things you're interested in. You don't want to have to be catering to a specific audience. And that I had that huge concern, too, of, like, do I connect with people I don't know? And it's weird, like, shooting your shot with somebody that's making a couple million a year. And I'm like, you know, I'm paying – you know, a whole lot of money just to be at school. And the short answer is absolutely yes. Like now I, me and my friends are at the point where if you connect with somebody you do know, that's so exciting because you feel like you're always connecting with people that you don't know. But at the yep. start, you need to be connecting with people you don't know because you're never going to grow your reach otherwise. And if you're, you know, just trying to stay within like the 500 kind of first degree connections most people have, you're not going to be able to keep making that bigger and larger impact. And it's usually not like your first degree connections, like the people you immediately know who help you. It's they set you up with somebody that aligns more closely with what you're doing. So it's all about about growing that and just like being open, you know, having conversations and 100% being able to reach out to people you don't know. Yeah, uh, that's well said. And I'd add a little bit to that. Uh, there's a... Uh... There's a lot of people that are in your first degree connections that thought they should do the same thing you're doing. And so you act, you run into a little bit of jealousy sometimes too, versus your second degree connections. I feel like they're a lot more like, I don't know this person. I'm happy with this person is doing I like that, versus yeah. some people that are closer with you are like, I thought about doing that a month ago, but you right. didn't. <laughs> and it's all about that, like that bias towards action and literally mm-hmm. just, just starting. It's always that hardest thing is to start like that first post changing that first thing about your profile and the ball's rolling and you're going to be that person that people are like, dang, like they might actually have it figured out here. Um, so I'm curious a little bit in our previous conversation, we talked about um, psychology and philosophy. So how much of marketing do you understand from the fil- from the psychology component and what drives those things and how much do you just know from experience? Yeah, well, okay. So, so I, I do a good bit of reading and I've seen just marketing. I mean, it all comes down like the human psychology. You know, you can, you can pound like the logical all day. And mind you, like I work with engineers all day. So like I, I get, I will get, I work with logical people and they don't make logical decisions. Hell, I don't make logical decisions. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just saying like, that's what happens is, you know, how can you appeal to what they actually want? You know, if I'm working on something and they're saying they want the tightest tolerance, 
but I know they really just want the fastest lead time. Like you need to be able to kind of see through that and understand what's somebody really going for. Like what's the, what are they actually looking to buy? There is a, that's a famous economic study and they handed out like four different flyers to people about buying like something real stupid, like a door, like a doorknob. And one, and there are three of them were just general. And one of them said, you're doing it because all your neighbors are doing it. And that fourth advertisement that just, you know, got everybody with that collective mindset was the most effective one. And so it's knowing that, you know, you can pump your product all day, but if you don't know your customer, if you don't know really what they're going for and why they're looking, you can't get anything out of it. Yeah. And then you get out there and it's something that, I mean, it's talked about a good bit is a lot of that like iterative process. Like you're going out, you're trying, you're A-B testing, you're failing, then you're figuring out and learning. Mm-hmm. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what you do in, in both fields. Um, I'm, uh, I'm surprised at how many marketers don't pay attention to human psychology. And then on the technical side, I work with a lot of engineers too. And it's that it's a lot of those same conversations like, no, no, people, they don't do that. Or I would never do this or I would never do that. And then you ask them like, well, when was the last time you bought something over $500? Tell me how you selected that brand. Right. It's like, oh, well, I went there. And ch- why did you think of them? And you can start to drill back. And if people are honest, either they get very uncomfortable or they get honest. and They're like, oh, yeah, I guess you're kind of right. Uh, right. You, hit, you hit on something about the videos where it's, you know, being out there. Who do they think of? They think of you. That's recency bias like that is yes. that's a psychological phenomenon. So if you're always yes. producing content, people enjoy seeing it. They're going to think of you first when that stuff happens. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, it's incredible to me how many people push against that that concept when it's it's not a marketing concept, it's psychology, human exactly. psychology. Exactly, I mean, it's that recency, it's that availability bias of like, yep. when they're seeing you out there every day, you doesn't matter what you post, they're gonna start trusting you just because they see it out every day. Yeah. And by getting out there, by like, you know, letting them know that you're a legit brand, that you care about them, that you have their interests in mind, they build that trust and then you're gonna start building that sales funnel. Absolutely. So um, what are, uh, Tell us, tell us some success stories. So you've been, I love your content. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like your positivity. I like your energy. Um, I think you're bringing a lot to people. I'm sure there's a lot of people that consume that content that it really brightens their day. Um, why don't you tell us some of the benefits? What's happened? I, you know, yeah. you're speaking now. You're getting invited to do things. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. And I think an important part of that is that like that was really never the goal. You know, it was always like. I wanted to impact one person at a time. Like I just want one person to see the video and be like, dang, you know, because you gave me this idea, I was able to make this decision, which helped me in this way. Like that's, that's what I was here for. You know, it wasn't any like higher goal, the ulterior motives. It was like, I mean, you don't make a video series for 500 days every day. Like it, that's a long time to have an ulterior motive, I would say, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when I'm just I'm trying to be out there every day just providing like that one minute of value. It's quick, it's concise, it's something about me and it starts the conversation. So some success stories, it's, it's been incredibly well received at Purdue and I'm so grateful for that. Um, so I guess this past year, um, I was named an engineering fellow by Purdue's College of Engineering. And what that is, it goes out to the top five senior engineers at Purdue. It's Purdue's highest award for engineering. Um, with a nice cash prize that I'll be spending uh, on a little international trip this summer. But what's really cool about that is because I'm graduating in three years, um, I was able to work towards that in three years when there's normally a four-year award, um, which is which has meant a lot because that award goes out to the people that have made the greatest impact on campus. 
And like my favorite of the story is about somebody that, you know, goes into an interview and they, they have one of my videos in the back of their head and they like, they come in and they come out. They're like, Mark is like, I, it's like one, one of my biggest strategies is I always ask, what's the most important question in an interview? And it's not the, tell me about yourself. It's the, how are you? Because we all go in there and we go, I'm good. How are you? And they say, good. Okay. Tell me about yourself. And to me, you just blew the biggest opportunity in your entire interview. To me, with the that being the most important question, you need to actually tell them. You know, when I come out, I'll be like, oh, I was doing this, this, and this today. You know, I got, I'm involved in ASME, then I'm working my job. And that's a very natural way to start your interview. And then you're essentially telling about yourself without having to be all rigid and like, let me go into my elevator pitch now. So <laughs> whether it's an idea like that, um, and then on top of it, so between graduating three years, I recently won um, the Outstanding Junior Mechanical Engineering Award, which was a blessing. I'm going on actually 500 days of the video series, which is I'm just over the moon about. I mean, that level of dedication and consistency is incredible at any age. Like I like I told you when we were talking, I mean, it, at any age, that's incredible. But to be that focused, that disciplined at your age is just, I mean, there's a lot of people that are going to be really impressed with that. When, and, um, when did you start to see results? Oh, like long, like it was, I mean, maybe, maybe 150 days or so. And by results, I mean like a steady amount of people reaching out to me Yep. Um, with like their positive stories. You know, it was, it's funny. It actually used to be, I used to kind of keep track of it of like, it was about once a month, like one big, I'd have one big opportunity come out of it and I'd have a few people reach out. And now like if it's, it's almost every day. You know, at this point, and it's it's cool. I no longer keep track of it because that that's a little overwhelming. But it did not happen right away. And I mean, it's similar with marketing. You know, you have to you have to put in time, money, energy, and you got to stick to a plan. Yep. Sometimes you don't need to have an end goal. Like I don't have a goal of like I want to receive ten messages a day. My goal is like I want to impact people, which is broad. And people tell you that's not a smart goal. Well. They can go shove their smart goals because there's going to be a lot of other things that come out of just like putting in the effort. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And it's, and it's both like professional and like another accomplishment is so being president of our chapter of the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. Um, I came in as president a year ago, like right as like we got out of, we started the COVID semester. Like we were all online for the most part and we got down to 10 members in the organization. And then we grew last semester from 10 to 75. And this semester, we grew from 10 to 75 to over 300 members. Wow. And that's just been by, you know, being so focused on the members and by providing them value. And like similar like marketing and buying, you know, when people know that I'm here to help you, that I have results and that our club puts on just the best, in my, again, unbiased opinion, um, the best things on campus, like you want to join and it's almost a no brainer at that point for you to come out and put your time and energy into something that's going to help you out. Yeah. That's, that's a, I'm curious, do you know what percentage of, of mechanical engineers are now in uh, ASME? So what's also cool about ASME is that I like to say it's a triple lie because first so it stands for American society of mechanical engineers. We're not all American because it's an international society. It is a society. We're not all mechanical engineers and we're not all engineers. So three <laughs> out of the four words in our title are a lie. But in, in ASME, I think we're at like 20, 25% of Purdue's uh, mechanical engineers 
But then we also bring in you know, a whole bunch of different majors, like we're running a prosthetics project. We have marine vehicle projects where we're designing lacrosse sticks. Like we're, it's a fun time, very fun time. And I'm all about bringing that diversity of ideas together. It's like, that's how you're gonna get the greatest groups is when people have different viewpoints, different experiences. Because if you just have like, if we're all mechanical engineers, which honestly is mostly like people that look like me, like straight up white dudes, that you're not gonna get the greatest teams. When you're bringing everybody together, that's an organization going to be successful. Awesome, awesome. Um, so I want to get back to the uh, to the to the 500 days thing again because you said <laughs> around 150 you started to see results. Was no. there any time um, during the first 100 to 150 days where you're like, I don't know if this is worth doing anymore? Should I quit doing this? Um, I'm sure you went through that. So why don't you tell us about that and what made you keep going yeah. until you saw the initial results? Yeah, well, what's interesting about that one is, I don't know, LinkedIn is not like the biggest engagement platform either. You know, like you get, if you get like a couple hundred likes, like you are, you are popping. Mm -hmm. It's it's not like Instagram where you get, you know, like a really high um, ratio of likes to your followers. Like LinkedIn's really, really low. Um, like you can see the video views and, you know, th I mean, there'd be days where it'd be like, you know, single digit likes. I'd be the only person who comments on it. But I always tried to never focus on that. I was like, you know, I'm out here. I'm sharing a message that I'm really happy to share. So I'm going to I'm going to keep trying it. And then like you get the occasional like, hey, I saw your video. Like, I love what you're doing. And I was like, hmm, OK, like that's that's pretty cool. Is that enough to sustain you? No. So, I mean, you have to eventually see results at some time. Like you can't just be putting all your energy into something that has zero ROI. But when you like, like I enjoyed the process, like I was having fun learning, making them, meeting people, and then it started falling into place. But there, there were those times where, I mean, it's tough. You see so many like incredible creators out there who are just like way ahead of you, but they're way ahead of you because they started three, four years ago. Like you can't, you can't be comparing against people with all these big followings and like the CEOs and whatnot. You need to be looking more, more so at yourself, but drawing inspiration from people that are similar to you as opposed to the people that are, you know, way more established and way out there. Yeah. One of the um, one of the greatest gifts that I've received with aging is understanding just how how people progress at different paths and what that looks like. And, you know, now in my mid 30s, I'm. I, I look at someone like you, I'm like, dang, this kid's gonna, this kid's awesome. He's way ahead of like where my head was at forever. And then I can look at someone that's a year younger than me or a year older than me and they're ahead. And it's like, hey, congratulations. And I've also seen that go back and forth so much with my friends that it's just like artificial race we're running when really we're all just trying to have an impactful life and spend time with people we care about. Absolutely. And when you're surrounded by those people that understand that, your life is just incredible. You know, it's no longer like the me versus you or like, let me see, you know, how well you did on this exam or like what awards you won, but like, hell yeah, like, let's go. Like you yeah. just won that award. Like I am so happy for you. And then we get to grow together. And you have yeah, those yeah. people that makes a world of difference. Um, last qu last question on your LinkedIn. Then I want to get into some like buyer <laughs> behavior stuff. Yeah. Um, so do you, have you been able to craft some meaningful relationships through LinkedIn that you met them first on LinkedIn and then help people understand? Because I've also seen this as a struggle. How do you transition from, hey, someone's sending me a message or they're liking my content and how do you actually form a relationship with them? Yeah, I love that. I've built unexpectedly so many LinkedIn relationships. Especially like turn into, you know, real relationships. Because it's one thing to have like your online friends, your online network, but to take that, so so first to take that step, 
it's all about, you know, sending that message. Like we said, connecting with people you don't know, being open to what could be. That's a big thing. You know, you, you feel weird reaching out to people like that. You don't know. You're like, oh, what do I say? You might like slave over the message or how, how do I do this? But then you think about it from the other side. And like when somebody reaches, like reaches out to me, I'm like, oh, that was nice that they took the time. I'm not like correcting their grammar or like running through their message. Like all we're doing when we're sending the message. You're just happy that somebody reached out to you and you want to build a relationship. So having that perspective of like, honestly, chill out <laughs> really helps. So when I do mine, you know, I just try and sit down like a normal message. I send you like, hey, Matthew, like love what you're doing with the podcast. Really interested in your philosophy about, you know, buyer behavior. Hope we can connect. Like simple. You know, I don't, you don't have to go research like them, their family, their whole lineage. Like you just read their profile, find out a couple of cool things and reach out. And then at least at like college, it's super easy to say like, hey, like let's go, let's grab coffee. Let's grab lunch. If you're online, like let's grab virtual coffee. Um, and, you know, don't make it long. Like don't be asking for hours and hours of people's time. But like that 15, 30 minutes, that's more than enough time for you to feel out somebody and be like, do I want to talk to them again? Yeah. And then from, from that conversation, then you start building. And a really important part, especially for students and professionals, is when you try and reach out to people with more experience and you're like, why should they respond to me? You know, and a lot of it's that so many of them have had incredible guidance throughout their careers, but it's also that you need to build a relationship. And something that like kills me is when people go out and they're like, can you be my mentor? No, absolutely not. Like that is not how you build a meaningful mentor relationship is by asking somebody to be your mentor. That's just ridiculous in my eyes. So how I see that you build it is, you know, you go to them with like a little question. You ask for a little bit of advice and then you take that, you apply it and you come back to them with results. And then you slowly and naturally build that relationship instead of like forced mentorship or forced relationships. Yeah, very astute. Uh I've, I'm to the point, I'll give almost anybody 10 minutes, but you have 10 minutes. And then if you aren't, I, I've just worked with so many people that they um, they feel like they're making progress by talking about getting better, but they don't actually want to apply any of the things you're talking about. And at some point you have a limited amount of time and are you going to spend it with people that aren't going to do the things that you talk about? Or are you actually going to help people that are interested in helping themselves? Absolutely. And, and you want that bias towards action. Like at least with my videos, like I only ever talk about things that I have experience with, that I have an example. Yeah. You see it a lot online, like people talk in theory. They're like, <laughs> they're speculating. They're like bringing in philosophy, which is neat and whatnot. But if there's no application, I think it's meaningless. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's transition a little bit to buyer behaviors because yeah. I, I liked your story when you were working for the startup company and you said their website was crap. And yeah, so as a as a young professional who we could all be buying from at some point, uh, why don't you why don't you tell me why that was such a big deal when you saw their website was garbage and they weren't doing anything on social media? Yeah, well, it's especially as a young person. Like when I first of all, I knew nobody at the company. You know, I didn't have any connections to it. So first thing I'm going to do is go Google them. <laughs> and you go up there and when you Google a company's name and they don't even show up first in the Google search results, I'm like, <laughs> like what, what is this scam? Like what Nigerian prince is trying to give me a job right now? And then, then, like, then you reach out to him, you start looking through and I'm like, it's just bare. Like it says your company name. It says contact us with an address. Like that's sketchy. That's super sketchy. So how I, I went about it, it was like, I wanna see what you're doing. I wanna see your people. I wanna know that there's direction, that you have mission, vision, values. 
And then from that, I can determine, okay, do we align not only, I mean, beliefs are important, but then also in what we want. Because if it's ambiguous, if I don't know what I'm going to be getting out, I don't want to be spending all my time figuring out if I even want it. Like, I don't want to be a prospect. I want to be able to buy it. I want to be able to move on and look at somebody else. So that self-service component's important to you then? Yeah, yeah, because I'm I'm not trying to get on the phone with somebody. Like I don't I don't have all day to call up and be like, hey, what do you do? Like if that's not front and center, I, I don't know what you're doing with your website. <laughs> do, um, are are you familiar with the business development process in architecture, engineering, construction? Not not particularly. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little bit about the way that um, that most companies go to market and then also the way they sell, just so you can get an idea of the okay, contrast yeah, yeah. Hit me, hit me. and why we started this. Uh, so if um, if, a, if an established company is going to enter a market, what they typically do is hire a handful of execution people, hire mm. a handful of BD people and go out and try and establish the market. If they already are in the market, they typically have a team of business development professionals or they have um, or they have a, a rep that reps them. Yeah. And so the way that they drum up new business and understand what's happening in the marketplace is they send those individuals out to places like power plants, industrial plants, and then they meet people individually one-on-one. -on -one. And what used to work really well pre-COVID is you would take people out to dinner, um, you would take them to lunch, and then you would form those relationships that way. And uh, I mean, what you just described is a very different experience that you like to have. And we're actually experiencing the industry where buyers are, um, they don't buy the same way, but the people that sell haven't really caught up. So I'm just curious, uh, hearing that, what are your thoughts on that outreach strategy? Yeah, it's antiquated. It's old. I mean, it's for, it might work for the execs now because they're, you know, two, three, four times my age. And that, that's what they like. Like they want to be wined and dined and have a good time. But I know I can go build a relationship with somebody via Zoom and maybe a tenth of the time it would take for you, somebody to go wine and dine me and I can actually figure out what I like. And, you know, let's say like we actually want to build a relationship. Like if I'm going to purchase from you, maybe. I want to go out, like actually meet the team, but that doesn't need to be the only way. You know, that can be like the the stamp, like seal of approval, but it doesn't need to be the entire sales funnel. I mean, you can get them very, very deep into it without ever actually meeting them. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. it is, you know, buying online now. Hell, you don't even meet most of the people that work where, like, work at the companies that you're purchasing things from. And it's normal now. But you know, when our business used to be handshakes, and like, I get it. It's it's the old way of life. Like that's what you learn. That's what has really worked out well. And you no, nah, don't phase that out completely. But if you're not pivoting into being more focused on like the you know internet or B two B sales and all the SASS, it's you're going to be missing out. A absolutely, and you know it's um I, I I always encourage people to understand their own buying behavior. Take a step back and look at why you think the way you think about brands, why you make the decisions you make, and you'll start to realize how you're influenced more by that. Um, so that was really good. And you described a scenario that we are experiencing right now in COVID where, you know, the handshake is still important, but that's not the best way to meet new customers. Mm -hmm. And I would even challenge if it's effective at all, because what you described is what I've experienced where a lot of these buyers are performing their own research to a certain point and they want to be able to inform themselves 60, 70, 80% of the way there. And then they yeah. want to start to talk to people individually. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's been that's on it. That's honestly been it's tough for some people to understand that.
Which it makes sense when you've been doing it for so long. But if you're not blowing it up, somebody else is going to snipe that business from you. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, and when Marcus is a buyer and he's a PL leader, I can assure you that he's not going to completely change his buying behaviors and all of a sudden want to be taken out to lunch by six different vendors to choose from them. Can I can I say that for sure, Marcus? I think so. I, I think that's a safe bet. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, all right. So uh Marcus has a very busy schedule here, so uh, and we've had a great conversation, so I'm going to let him jump off. But uh, it's been great having you. Um, we like to end the uh, show the same way every time, and that's yeah. to understand our leader's best routine and habit. And you have to have some um, to be this productive. So please right. tell everyone, what is your best routine and habit? Okay, here's, here's my big thing about routines and habits, too, is that you need to have them, but they all, always need to be flexible. You know, because if you become the person that's so into your habits, it might make parts of your day way easier. Don't get me wrong, but then you miss out on the opportunities from serendipity throughout the day. So my, my morning routine isn't anything special, but throughout the day, so I, I time block. I time block every 15 minutes of my day. And if anybody doesn't know what time blocking is, it's like I know exactly what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, for how long um, throughout the day. And that's a great way, not only for me to, you know, space out my time to know how long it takes me to do things, but like eliminate any anxiety of like, will I get this done? Like, do I have time for this? Because I know exactly what I'm doing the night before. And I have, I've been doing this for a year and a half now. I have never, ever stuck to uh, my, one of my time block schedules. <laughs> you know, things, things come up, assignments run long, you have, you know, emergency meetings, things come up. But you need to be able to kind of work with that and understand that that happens. Have that contingency, have that. So my first big one is time blocking. Um, and then I have, a, I have a pretty pretty robust nightly routine is that, first of all, I read. Um, and I, I really try and spread out what I how, how long do you read for? See, th this is another one of those variable things, depending on the book. What do you so aim to? What's your goal? What's your goal? Like a chapter. Okay. Because I, I want to keep it where I'm excited to come back every single night. Mm -hmm. And so usually it's like a chapter or so. And I mean, I'm reading everything from like, you know, business, management, leadership, economics, philosophy, psychology. A lot, a lot of nonfiction. That's kind of that's kind of where I really enjoy it. And it's taking that. And when I read, I would just like I'm, I'm very active reading. You know, I'm, I'm writing, I'm highlighting, I'm flagging because I want to try and take like one big idea away every time I read. I don't need to remember everything. I think that's really a waste of your time. But taking like one big thing that can really impact you or impact others is incredibly important. And then I'm very big into journaling. Um, so just not only about the day, like what happened, because I think that's really important to kind of go through that, remember what happened and embrace and how you can change and improve any of that for tomorrow, but also like, you know, emotions, feelings, thoughts, ideas. Um, that's all really important. It's actually what I have here behind me. This is my vision board. And so for my vision board, each color has a different meaning. Um, so, for example, pink are my goals, orange are things I want to improve upon, purple are quotes that I like, and yellow is to do, and blue is ideas. And so everything, like, around here, those, those are things that, like, are on the horizon. This right here is what I, like, laser focus on, and everything on this side is what I've already completed. And by having that out there, that's one of those ways for me to, I don't remember, like, any of my goals. You know, when people ask me, I'm like, um, <laughs> I was like, I'll, I'll come up with them, but it's all on the wall. So like every morning, like I can look at that and I know what do I want to accomplish and what steps can I take today to work towards that? So 
between and then I guess a habit is making videos being on LinkedIn, but that's been one over time. And it's it's more of that commitment to like so, so see, like a problem that I have is that like you call me positive, whereas I see it as optimism. And like the big distinction that I've I've read about, like try to learn about is that positivity is that like naive emotion, a naive thought of regardless of what's happening, I'm happy. Like it's okay, it's no big deal. Versus optimism, how I see it is like you can say today sucks, but tomorrow I have the ability to make better. And that's what I'm all about, where it's like, you know, you're gonna have bad days, you have to have bad days, but it's always up to you to figure it out. So yeah, yeah. habits, incredibly important. Um, and But keeping them flexible is also something that's really important to me. Yeah, that that was very stoic of you, That your last little, uh, the difference yeah. between positivity and optimism. I actually, I think that it's semantics. If you look up the definition, they're the same. I've seen this same conversation, right. especially amongst people that are way more, way more intelligent than I am and talk about this, like people like Simon Sinek. And yeah. I've actually challenged a couple of them in the comments, like you're, some people use positivity and optimism interchangeably. When you look them up in the dictionary, they are very similar. And so because someone says, be positive or be optimistic, do you actually know that they're understanding the same definition that isn't broadly out there that you are, or they are using them interchangeably and they mean the same thing? Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> definitely ambiguous with semantics. Uh, um, so this, this, was, this was really good. I want to ask you one more question before yeah. we wrap up. What is the... Um, What's the most impactful book that you've read? Oh, okay. Easy. This is the easiest question to ask me all day. It's the reason I started my video series, actually. Mm. It's entitled The Medici Effect by Franz Johansson. And the, the main idea that I took away from this book is that your greatest ideas come at the intersection of what you like and what you're good at. So at least for me with the video series, you know, I liked talking. Like I liked being out there, spreading that message. I was good at LinkedIn. I was having fun reaching out. And what this book goes to show is that the diversity of ideas, the diversity of groups together is how you accomplish goals. It's a lot easier to bring everybody together and just do groupthink and work towards that goal. But when you're combining and you're at the intersection of different fields, of different people, of different ideas, that's when you create the best products, the best projects, and that's when teams are successful. And so that book completely galvanized me. And got me going but with the series, but also in life, a commitment to diversity and also a commitment to really just creating stronger teams and to be a stronger leader. Awesome. So I encourage everyone to check out. It's a book I haven't read. I'm going to add that actually to my list. Yeah. I'm a, I call, I, I think I can call myself an avid reader now, but it's a newer, like 18 month habit. So I'm not yeah. sure I can quite call it yet, but, uh, <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Buyer's Market. I hope everyone got some good information from Marcus. Uh, I'd encourage everyone, no matter how old you are, whether you're a student or whether you're an executive, to connect with Marcus on LinkedIn. We'll put his LinkedIn in the show notes. Um, you know, I know some since I've been connected with him, sometimes his, his video brightens my day and I'm a pretty optimistic person myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I think everyone else can value from it. And um, uh, I you know, I think everybody realizes that he's going to be a great professional. So uh, now's your time to start recruiting the next star athlete. All <laughs> right, everyone. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next week. Awesome. Thank you.